But no, it's wonderful, wonderful to be here, and uh, I'm honored to be a part of the launch and super excited to be back in your nation. Your nation holds a very, very special place in my heart. For several years ago now, my mum and dad, they got married, they had never been to church, they were not Christians in any way, shape or form, when a man from Ballymena, Northern Ireland, about 35 years ago, came to England at a police convention, because both my parents were police officers, and he shared his testimony, and on the same day, my mum and dad gave their lives to Christ for the first time, all because of one man from your nation. And so uh, I have a soft spot for Northern Ireland, I, I, I really do, but you know, I want to give honor to where honor's due, and you've got a fantastic pastor in Pastor, pastor Phil. I've known him for about seven years, and I admire his tenacity, his passion, his heart for people, and the local church. So uh, why don't we give Pastor Phil a hand? <laughs> He's a good man. He's a good man. Now, I do do a lot of traveling. I'm very fortunate. Uh, where I get to go, and I, I normally have a travel partner, actually, and my, my favorite person to travel with is my wife, and they're going to show you, there she is, that's uh, Lisa, man, God has been good to me, God has been good to me, definitely, and we also have a, a miracle child, and, and uh, this is our miracle right here, and I'm going to talk a bit more about our, our journey tonight, because if you have never seen a miracle, you have now. You have now. That's our, our Lila Hope. And, uh, you know, what we were told couldn't happen, God had different plans. And so tonight I'll share a bit more of our story. Anyway, I want to pray for you and then get straight into the word this morning. Are you ready? Okay, I'll go home then. That's fine. Are you ready? Good, good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do indeed thank you for what you've already accomplished in this church but Lord, we are excited that today is a new day. Today is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And so, Father, as we come before you, I ask that every person under the sound of my voice will leave church today different to the way they came in. I ask that they will be challenged, encouraged, inspired. I pray that you will meet them right where they are at. Speak a word which is personal to them. May they never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. As Phil said, I do get a bit excited. So strap yourself in and we'll get going. Well, the title of my message is this. Make room for the master. Make room for the master. A few months ago, my wife and I and our baby girl, Lila, we were driving to the airport I was speaking in Holland that weekend, and my wife was taking a flight to Scotland to see her family. All was going well until we got onto the motorway, about five minutes from the airport, when all of a sudden, all the warning lights, every single light on our dashboard started flashing, and the power of the car instantly cut out. As I was putting my foot on the accelerator, nothing was happening. We were slowing down as cars were speeding past us on our left and on our right. The steering had completely gone. The car was shaking. We were in trouble. No one likes being in trouble. 
when that sinking feeling comes over you, when you are left helpless, when your joy turns to panic, when worry becomes the loudest voice in your head, when you do do not know which way to turn or how to cope with that pain or that affliction that has just walked into your life, you are in trouble. I wonder today, have any of you ever been in trouble? My assignment this morning comes from 2 Kings chapter 4, and it is about a woman who was in trouble, but God. (laughs) But God, this is good stuff, I'm telling you. This is good stuff. And so I'm going to read this story, and they're going to put it up on the big Northern Ireland Bible in just a moment, so you can read it with me. It says this, starting in verse 1, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around, ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour the oil into the jars, and as each is filled, place them to one side. She left him, and she shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought to her the jars, and she kept pouring. When the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one, bring me another jar. But he replied, there is not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live off what is left. So here we have a woman that was married to a prophet. And this prophet had a reputation of being a godly man. He obviously knew this man, Elisha, but he was now dead. We see that he died poor and was in more debt than he was was worth. So the wife that he left behind was now distressed, distraught, and in trouble. Their house, which once permeated prayers and joy and laughter, is now being filled with the harsh, harsh reality of doom, destruction, and death. She is desperate. This woman is desperate, and desperate people do desperate things when they are in desperate need of a miracle. She is so desperate that she cries out to this man, Elisha, for help. Now, Elisha was a prophet, and and he was well known in that area for being a godly man, a man which God used to perform signs and wonders. And so he comes round to her house. He walks into her house. There is no joy, no hospitality. No one offers him a drink or, or takes him to Zio's in Portadown. I've heard it's good. I've heard it's good. There was, there was nothing there. The atmosphere was far from faith-filled. There was a heaviness in the air. She was not happy about her husband's death. And she begins to offload all of her darkest and deepest thoughts to this man. My husband was a good man. He served the Lord, but it does not seem to have done any good. It is so unfair. Why did that happen? How did that happen? Why me, God? Why, why, why? Oh, I wonder, have you ever asked God, why me? Why me? You see, what do you do 
when you've been living right, you've been praying, you've been seeking God, you've been serving in church, you've been helping your neighbor, but you're in the worst of times. What do you do when your prayers aren't answered? What do you do when your faith runs dry? You see, Elisha walks into a situation that looks beyond repair. This distraught woman thinks, thinks that she is out of options. I mean, it's one thing to lose your car. It's one thing to lose your iPad. It's one thing to lose your TV. But to lose your sons, your children, no mother in her right mind wants to sell her children. But that is how hopeless this woman's situation is. But in the chaos of it all, (laughs) ah, this is where it gets good. In the chaos of it all, she has forgotten who was walked into her house. Elisha was a man that knew God and was full full of his power. Oh friend, can I tell you this today, that whenever God comes into your house, then that situation has to change. Something has to change. That dilemma has to dissolve. That crisis has to shift. That problem has to pass. You see, you may think that you are out of options today. You may have walked into church all excited, ready for the launch, but on the inside, you're broken and you don't know which way to turn. Well, I have to tell you, I know that God is in this house. He is in this church. And when God is present, your situation has to change. It has to change. Oh, God is going to turn something around in your life. He's about to pour you out a blessing. He can make a way even when there seems to be no way. Oh, I believe that a miracle is coming. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is in my house. Now turn to your least favorite neighbor and say, God is in my house too. (laughs) Now, some of you husbands are in trouble over dinner. You turn the wrong way. You turn the wrong way. And so, so this woman, this woman, in her despair, she starts to explain to Elisha the predicament that she finds herself in. And he calmly responds with two questions. He says, how can I help you? And what is it that you have in your house? Notice he didn't say, what can I bring from my house? He said, what is already in your house? To which she responded, nothing except a small jar of oil. And a fascinating conversation begins to take shape here. You see, God will always use what he has already put in your house. But you have to first be aware of what God has put in you. What God has placed in you. Where this woman saw nothing. Elisha saw potential. He saw that the ingredient for her greatest miracle was already there. It just needed somebody with eyes of faith to activate it. Oh, how good it is to have people around you who can encourage you, who can pull the gold out of you, who can speak to the potential that God has uniquely placed on the insides of you. But if I'm honest, this woman, she was not alone in her thinking. Isn't it funny how you can believe in everyone else, how you can cheer everybody else on and and you can see their gifts and, and you can see their talents, but you find yourself looking in the mirror thinking you have nothing. 
and you utter words under your breath like, I'm a nobody. I've made too many mistakes. I'm a failure. I never get the good breaks. God forgot about me. Oh, I don't have enough money. I wasn't born with that gift. Life is not fair. Do you know, friend, the enemy, he wants to paralyze your productivity by trying to convince you that there is nothing in you, that you've missed your moment, that you're a waste of space, that, that, that you've blown it, that the devil is a liar. Because when you begin to discover and celebrate that there is something unique that God has hand put in you, then you become attractive to be around. That who you are is just who God requires to fulfill his plans on earth. Oh, you're the apple of his eye. The rose between two thorns. Oh, I like getting romantic. You see, he doesn't need another Philip Craig. He doesn't need another Judith Shaw. He doesn't need another Johnny Walker. Come on, Johnny, wherever you are. He needs you to be you. He wants you to be you. So when you think you're nothing, God says you're something. He says that you're a royal priesthood a child of God, an heir of Christ, created in his image, set apart to do great things. You are the head and not the tail. You are loved and accepted. You are justified and, in, and, and redeemed. You are indeed a miracle in the maker. What is in you, what is in your house, is enough to get you through your troubles and take you to the next level. You just need to start looking at things with eyes of faith. With eyes of faith. When you allow God to touch the ordinary in your life, then something extraordinary has to happen. Moses. Moses had a walking stick. But when God touched it, the Red Sea parted. David. David had a slingshot. But when God touched it, he brought down the biggest giant. Samson. Samson had the jawbone of a donkey. But when God touched it, he defeated 1,000 Philistines. This young boy with a couple of loaves of bread and two fish. Oh, it looked impossible. But when God touched it, they were able to feed over 5,000 people. This building that we are sitting in today was lying dormant for the past year, but when God touched it, our eight church was birthed. This widow, she had a small jar of olive oil, but when God touched it, Oh, come on, some of you should be getting excited about this. This is good news. You see, God will use the something that you already have. Stop looking at other people. Stop wanting what they have. Stop, not, stop uh, worrying about what you don't have. And ask God today, Lord, show me what I do have. Show me what is in me. Elijah knew that one small thing placed in the hands of a very big God could change everything. It could change everything. Is this helping you this morning? That's good. And so the story goes on to say that Elijah said, Go and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Do not ask for just a few. Now he was giving her a big hint here from the off by saying, Don't ask 
for just a few. Almost suggesting that the more determined you are to look a little more crazy in gathering as many jars as possible, then the more you will see God at work. The more uncomfortable you are willing to make yourself, the more God will come in and take you by surprise. That if you position yourself for a miracle, then God will meet you there. But you are the one that has to step out first. That is faith. That is faith. Faith is taking the first step without seeing the whole staircase. Faith is the bridge between your natural thoughts and our supernatural God. Faith is taking the little things that you think you have and placing them into the hands of a big God that starts to initiate his response. I wonder today, does anyone in here have some faith? Does anybody have some faith? I remember learning this lesson on radical faith when I was 21 years old. I'm 34 now for those of you trying to guess my age. I know some of you were thinking that. 21, I was at Bible college in, in Sydney, Australia. And a group of us had just gone out into a local community to, to do some work in the community, cut the grass, paint people's sheds, pick up litter, that sort of stuff. And it had been a long day, it had been a hot day. And we got back in the bus and we drove back to church that evening, late afternoon, early evening. As we were going along, right in the distance, Across a couple of fields, I saw a woman who was tending her horses. And I heard the voice of God in my heart that said, Luke, stop the bus and go and speak to that woman. I ignored the voice. I pushed it down. A few moments later, again, I heard that voice. Luke, stop the bus. Again, I pushed it down. Moments later again, Luke, stop the bus. I said, no. I'm not doing it. And then the guy sitting behind me in a loud voice stood up and shouted, Stop the bus! And everyone thought, what's going on? And they pulled the bus over and this guy on our bus, he got out of the bus and he ran across these two fields to this woman. Everyone on the bus didn't know what he was doing, but I knew he was doing, he was up to something. Half an hour passed and he called us over. We all got out of the bus. There was about 10 or 12 of us. And we walked across the field to this woman. And this woman was in floods of tears. She was hysterical. And it turns out that she wasn't a Christian. She, she had never heard about Jesus. She had never been to church. But she was going through a very painful divorce. And that day was on the verge of committing suicide. And she woke up that morning and she cried out and she said, God, if you are real, then send someone to me today. We prayed with that woman. We brought her to church on the Sunday night. And that woman gave her heart to Jesus Christ. And her life turned right around, all because someone was willing to stop the bus. Oh, I wonder today, are you prepared to make a fool of yourself by initiating some radical faith? Are you prepared to, to, to be inconvenienced? Are you prepared to do something radical? Because I know that is the sort of faith that God's eyes scan the earth to find. Do you have any faith? Do you have any faith? I love how this church is a statement of faith. Taking this building took faith. 
Growing a church takes faith. Starting new ministries takes faith. Phil doesn't have all the answers. Phil doesn't know how this thing's going to turn out, but he does have some faith. He has some faith, and that's what pleases God. Faith is what pleases God. Faith doesn't demand details. You just need to have some faith. Now, now you may not understand what God is doing with you right now in your own walk. You might not know where he's at or where he's leading you to, but you don't need to know everything. Very rarely does God give you all the steps that you are to take. He hasn't shown me what I'll be doing at 35 years old. I don't know what I'll be doing at 36, at 40, at 50, at 60, at 70. He hasn't shown me that far ahead, but he doesn't because he wants to know, do I have the faith to trust him along the way? You see, very rarely does God give you the full picture. He gives you a glimpse. He gives you a clue and not the complete answer. He gives you a taste, but not always the main course. He does that to show you what is placed in your your heart shall come to fruition, but do you have the faith to trust him along the way? To trust him along the way. Oh, I'm just getting warmed up, I'm telling you. I'm just getting warmed I might have to calm down, otherwise you won't have me back. But Elisha, he is teaching this woman this. And, and if you don't remember anything else that I say today, I want you to remember this, and it is this, that the more room you make for God, the more God will move in your life. The more room you make for him, the more he will move in your life. Some of you need to make room for the master. High five three people and tell them, make room for the master. Make room for the master. Make room for the master. Do you know, we can be so controlling over our agenda, over our thinking, so, so limited, sorry, in our thinking that we give God very little space to work with. Now, I'm not saying that God cannot work in small spaces because just a small jar of oil is all God needs. But this miracle in this story was determined by the space and the capacity of the jars. It was about space. It was about capacity. One summer afternoon, three years ago, my wife and I had just bought our first house. And my in-laws, Lisa's parents, were, ha- were down helping us decorate the house. And me and my father-in-law are in the utility room. When all of a sudden, we heard a noise. <laughs> a noise that does not belong in the utility room. It was a scratching type of noise. Now, I had lived in London for many years and I had experienced having a mouse in the house. And, and it's just not good. And so, so I, I knew I had to take action. I had to do something to protect my family. I did what all brave men would have done. I went round to my neighbor's house and I asked to borrow his cat. (laughs) Now, at the time, I wasn't a cat man, but this cat was different. His name was Dylan the Destroyer. And, (laughs) And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he had biceps and triceps. I mean, he was the cat version of your own pastor just sitting here. And uh, 
I, I brought Dylan into the, into the utility room and, and he quickly identified where the noise was coming from. That the, there was something in the tumble dryer. It was in the tumble dryer. And so, so, so me and my father-in-law, we, we, we pulled the, the tumble dryer out and we couldn't see anything. But we found a small hole and we thought that is where he got in. After about 20 minutes, Dylan walked off due to boredom and it was just now me and Kenny. Just us two. We had to do a fight alone. And so we, 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 we pulled the, the tumble dryer out and we started to undo the side panel. And with my heart beating and palms perspiring, I saw something that does not belong in a tumble dryer. It was big, it was black, and it was hairy. There was a bird in my tumble dryer. Now, there he is. Now, this is a, he is a big fellow. This was actually the life size of him, the life size picture. He's big. Um, <laughs> preachers like to exaggerate sometimes. But this is a sand martin. And sand martins are one of the quickest birds in the sky. And so we had a problem. We had a real problem. If we let this bird loose in our house, we will never catch him. So me and my father-in-law devised a plan. And we carried the tumble dryer into the garden. As we opened the panel, we saw that his wing was caught. And I had to make the most embarrassing phone call of my life. I called the RSPB. And I said, excuse me, we have a problem. They said, what is your problem, sir? I said, I have a bird in my tumble dryer. <laughs> and they said, could you repeat that, please? And the moment I repeated it, this bird got himself free. He stretched out his wings and he took off high into the sky. Wow. Wow. He started to soar. And as I stood there that day, I felt God speak to me. And he said, Luke, as birds have not been designed to live in small spaces, then you too have not been designed to put a limit on your faith in God. We have been called to soar on wings like eagles, to ride high above the storms. Of oh, church, we serve a faithful God. We serve a magnificent God, an infallible God. How we can often forget just how big and astonishing our God is, that he is loving, he is gracious, he is in the signs and wonders business. So hear Elijah's words today when you are knocking on heaven's door for your miracle. Don't you just ask for a few, for the measure you use will be pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall be poured into your lap. Don't you dare settle for average. Whatever your prayers you pray, make sure you pray crazy prayers. Make sure you dream crazy dreams. The things that God has put in you should look impossible to accomplish. That is why you need God. You need him. You need him. Some of you today, and this is a word for you, you need to start trusting him again. Start trusting him again. God, I don't get it, but I trust you. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this trouble, but I trust you. I don't know how I'm going to raise my children, but I trust you. I don't know how I can afford this, but I trust you. I don't know which path to take or decision to make, but I trust you. Oh, would somebody make more room 
for the master. I want to bring the band forward as I bring this to a close. Make room for the master. Don't watch the band. Watch me. I know they're better looking, but I'm nearly done. The story says that the miracle is now positioned to take place. And so she's in her house. She shuts the front door, which is very interesting to me. It's a sign to remove the distractions. She gets the first jar ready. And the Bible says that she begins to pour. Now, notice that Elisha didn't give any specifications to what the jar had to be. They didn't have to be brand new. They didn't have to be from John Lewis or Marks and Spencers or Harvey Nichols. He just said, bring me some jars. Any jars will do. It doesn't matter if they're chipped. It doesn't matter if they're broken. It doesn't matter if they have been used by other people. It doesn't matter if they have a history. It doesn't matter the journey that these vessels have been on. All I am interested in is not the external. I'm interested in the internal. Interested in the space the capacity that I can pour my goodness into. And so, and so she pours and, and, and the oil starts to flow. And then she says to her sons, bring me, bring me another jar. And they bring another jar and, 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 and she starts to pour and pour and it fills to the top. And, and then she says, I, I need another one. Bring me another jar, quick, quick, quick. And she starts to pour this heartbroken Distressed, distraught, bankrupt woman is witnessing her own miracle take place right before her eyes. It's happening. However, she then says, bring me another jar. Bring me another jar. They said, we've run out. No, no, bring me another jar. There's no jars left, mum. And in that moment, the Bible says that the oil stopped flowing. When the jars ran out, the oil stopped flowing. Yes, she got what she needed. Yes, yes, she could get out of trouble. She could pay her debts and, and live off what was left. But God wasn't finished. God hadn't finished. He still had more to give. He still had more to show. He still had more that he wanted to bless her with, but she had not made any more work, any more room, sorry, for God to work with. The space, the capacity was at its limit. Friends, as I bring this to a close, I came all the way from England to tell you, whether it's in your own walk or whether it's the start, you're being a start of the journey of this church, do not allow your lack of jars, your restriction of your resource, the doubting of your faith, the questioning of your obedience to hinder what God wants to pour into you. Oh, He has so much more for you. 
He has so much more for you. The question is, are you willing to make a fool of yourself? I'm not saying you need to be unwise, but I am saying this. Do you have any radical faith? Are you willing to make more space? Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Are you willing to stop the bus? Are you willing to stop the bus? Oh, I believe it today that somebody needs to start believing again, that somebody needs to start praying again, that somebody needs to start trusting again. The increase is coming. The blessing is coming. The breakthrough is coming. Somebody is getting out of trouble today. A broken heart is being restored. That impossible dream is coming to pass. Your struggling business can flourish. Your resource can be multiplied. Your business is about to boom. Your healing can be activated. Your miracle child is on its way. There is more for you yet. There is more for you yet. There is more for you yet. For my God can do exceedingly and abundantly above anything you could ever ask for or imagine. If you believe it in this place, would you stand to your feet? Would you stand to your feet? Would you lift your hands? Lift your hands this morning because I believe that God wants to pour out His oil in this place today. Come on, let's sing. Let's sing. Let's sing and let's worship. Come on.